KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzet Torah, you're listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh Parshat Vaigash, Chet Tevet, and I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel. I want to talk about one particular point with regard to Parshat Vaigash. It does uh, slip into Parshat Vayechi as well, but I want to talk about the those who distinguish themselves as leaders in Am Yisrael, as is clear from this week's Parsha. This week's Parsha, next week's Parsha. The two leaders that stand out are Yehuda and Yosef. And the characteristic that distinguishes them as leaders is their willingness to sacrifice themselves for the better good, the greater good. Yuda is more obvious, and that's clear from this week's Parsha, the beginning of this week's Parsha, and that is his willingness to give himself up to be an Eved in Mitzrayim so that Binyamin can go back home to Eretz Canaan. Everybody will go back home to Eretz Canaan, back to Yaakov, and Yuda will stay as a slave. We don't always grasp that concept because it is raised as a possibility and as quickly as it's raised, just a few psukim later, it's removed as a possibility and and Yosef reveals himself, but it is a real possibility as far as Yuda is concerned. Yuda takes responsibility for Binyamin, and and he's willing to pay the price. Ruvain was willing to pay a price. He was willing to pay the price of a Chnei Banai Tamit. Now granted, and let's think about this intelligently, when Ruvain is offering up his two sons, it is a sacrifice of his own. Nobody thinks that losing a son is not a sacrifice, but it's too much of a sacrifice on the sons themselves and not enough of a sacrifice on the person who's making the sacrifice. Similarly, when Yehuda says, I'll be an Evid, and everybody else will go home, there is a sacrifice on the part of his family family without a father, husband, if there was a husband, I don't know if he still had a wife at the time. But without going into details, it's pretty obvious and pretty easy to prove that without, as far as the timing of Yehuda's story, there, there were young children still around. And so there was a sacrifice on the part of his children, uh, on the part of his children as well, but the main part of the sacrifice then is his and the children are affected. So what we're saying here is the willingness and ability to sacrifice oneself predominantly for the good of Klal Yisrael. As I said, Yudah's self-sacrifice is evident. Yosef's sacrifice is a little bit less clear. 
Yosef did not go into the story willingly. He was taken away from his family by his brothers. And under the circumstances, he ended up in the best place because he ended up as Paro's right-hand man, the second-in-command in Egypt. Where does it express itself that Yosef, in fact, was involved in self-sacrifice as well? And here's where we jump over into Parshat Vayechi, and we address this point. And that is Yosef's estranged relationship from all around him. Yosef, when his family moves to Mitzrayim, and this we've discussed in the past, but we're not going to discuss this point any further, sets up an enclave for them in Goshen, separate from the Egyptians, in order to maintain this small group of only 70 people, in order to maintain their unique family, their unique characteristics, against Paro's wishes. But he maintains, if you will, his office, in the Egyptian court, in the Egyptian capital, not in Goshen. So what we end up seeing at the end of Parshat Vayechi then, is Yosef, who on the one hand, because he put his family needs before Paro's desires, is a little bit estranged to Paro at the end of his life, when he wants to, not even at the end of his life, at the end of his father's life, 17 years after his family joined him in Egypt, Yosef does not have a direct contact with Paro, he cannot approach Paro, he has to ask the servants of Paro to ask Paro permission to bury his father in Eretz Yisrael. So he has not maintained his command post in Egypt. At the same time, he did hold on to his position within the Egyptian court because he needed to take care of family. He needed to feed them. He needed to take care of their needs. So he maintained his position physically, not in Goshen, as is evident from the fact that Yosef is notified when his father is sick. He's not near his father. He has to go down to visit him. and is mostly evident in the relationship between Yosef and his brothers at the end of Parshat Vayechi. At the end of Parshat Vayechi, after Yaakov dies, the brothers are convinced that Yosef now will get his revenge. And they prostrate themselves in front of him, and they even tell what is apparently a lie, that their father... Yaakov commanded before his death that he should forgive his brothers. And Yosef cries at this request, at this revelation, because what he understands here is that because he stayed in the the castle, far away from Goshen, to take care of his family, and here is his great self-sacrifice, He's not managed to 
convince his brothers that he's on good terms with them. He hasn't been able to live with them. He hasn't been able to reconnect with them. And they, 17 years have gone by since the reunion of the family, and they are still of the belief that Yosef might decide to avenge all that's happened. So essentially he sat on the fence. He sat on the fence between Paro's palace, between Paro's house, and between his family, for the clear purpose to save his family. And Yosef in Parshat Vayigash is very clear that the reason why he believes that God saved him was not to save the entire region from famine, because he did save the entire region from famine, but his purpose was to save his family from famine, to make a large nation, a large surviving nation in Mitzrayim. So Yosef maintains his position in the palace in order to feed his family. Against Paro's wishes, he settles his family in Goshen in a way where they do not contribute to the furthering of Egyptian society and the furthering of Paro's greatness, as Yosef did. And this leads him to being estranged then from Paro as well. He doesn't move into Goshen because he'd lose his influence entirely, so he doesn't get to strengthen his ties with his family. So he ends up being neither here nor there. And for what purpose? For the purpose of Am Yisrael. For the purpose of saving Am Yisrael and Mitzrayim, maintaining their unique identity in Mitzrayim, so that they can become an independent nation. Seventy people coming into an empire and maintaining their identity is no small task. And Yosef put himself out on the line in order to get the conditions that were necessary for this, and he succeeded. But he succeeded at a price. At the price of losing his stature within the Egyptian courts, and at the price of never actually being able to reconnect with his family. Of course, historically, the tribe of Yosef is not estranged from Am Yisrael. Certainly the leader of Am Yisrael, one of the leaders of Am Yisrael. And Yosef's bones are taken out of Mitzrayim, according to the Chazal, with the rest of the brothers' bones. They are brought to Eretz Yisrael and buried in Eretz Yisrael. And there is, in a long-term level, a a full unification of the family, but not in Yosef's lifetime. On a personal level, Yosef pays the price for the bettering of Am Yisrael. Here we talk about today, what does it mean to sacrifice oneself for Am Yisrael? A lot of uh, questions and ideas can come into mind. It's something to think about, and certainly... What is the correct answer? I'm not going to attempt to to say. But one has to wonder what is a sacrifice. One could say that, and there are people in this vein, and there are people in this vein, and a person who decides 
not to live in Eretz Yisrael, but to lead Jews in diaspora, is sacrificing oneself for the bettering of Am Yisrael. But in that vein, one must ask themselves, how much did this person want to live in Eretz Yisrael? How much is it natural for them to be in Eretz Yisrael and unnatural for them to be in Chutz Laaretz? Are they not benefiting from being in Chutz Laaretz? Are they not benefiting from not being in Eretz Yisrael? In order to establish a sacrifice, one can't set up a straw man as what we're giving up on, but it has to be a real substantial thing of what we're giving up on. On a personal level, I think the my sacrifice, not trying to toot my horn or anything like that, was in the reverse direction. I moved to Eretz Yisrael, giving a perhaps a educational rabbinical opportunities in Chutzlaretz to live in Eretz Yisrael for the purpose of living in Eretz Yisrael. One could say, I haven't sacrificed anything for Am Yisrael because not educating the masses, not uh, doing what some of my peers are doing in Chutz Laaretz, and therefore it was a personal decision, move to Eretz Yisrael, not to move to Eretz Yisrael. So all of these things have to, when we talk about sacrificing for Am Yisrael, there has to be a lot of sincerity, a lot of being honest with oneself, and again, going back to what we discussed about Reuben and Yehuda, the question of how much am I sacrificing myself and how much am I sacrificing my children? How much of my children am I allowed to sacrifice when I'm sacrificing for Am Yisrael? Okay, the classic uh, Shalil Chabad who's going out to you know, East Asia and he's doing everything for the, for the Jewish community there is a tremendous sacrifice. How much is that sacrifice legitimate within what he what happens to his children who grew up in a strange environment? How much do they manage to maintain their children? I have no idea. Again, just food for thought as far as when we talk about sacrificing for Am Yisrael, we need to know the right amount of personal sacrifice, but real personal sacrifice, not a straw man's sacrifice. We have to know how much we can sacrifice those around us that surround us and how much is legitimate. Ruvain's sacrifice was deemed illegitimate because he was too willing to give up of others and not enough of himself to take the leadership. In any case, food for thought for this week's Parsha. At this point, we'll hand over the microphone to Ravik. Shabbat Shalom. This week we read Parshat Vayigash. When uh, Yaakov Avinu begins to go to Mitzrayim to uh, visit, to see his son, Yosef, after many years. Pasuk says, Perek Memva Pasuk Adav, Vayisa Yisrael v'chol ha-shelo, Vayavor be'er ha-shava, Vayizbach zevachim l'elohei aviv Yitzchak. Yaakov, Yisrael, comes to Be'er Sheva, and he sacrifices, sacrifices to the God of his father Yitzchak. If it's said that he sacrifices the sacrifices to his father, to his uh, to God, we would not have been surprised. But it says that he sacrificed to the God of his father Yitzchak. And Rashi then comments, Rashi is explaining that 
he he gave sacrifices to Elohei Aviv, to Elohei Avotav. But it says Yitzchak and not Avraham. The reason is because a person is Chayav B'chvod Aviv. The expression of Kibbut Avem, the mitzvah of Kibbut Avem applies more to your father than to your grandfather. This Rashi uh, engenders a halachic uh, discussion concerning the halachic status of Kavod Saba, the Kavod Aviv Imo as applied to, to grandparents. The Shulchan Aruch in Reishmem, Siman Reishmem in Yodea, Seif Chavdalid. It's not mentioned by the Machaber, but Tivama says, Yesh Omarim, the Ain Adam Chaya Bechvod Aviv. This is the opinion of the Marik, who states, Shalosh Mandalid, that there is no Chiyav at all. Kibud Avem is Kibud Avem. And it does not include uh, grandparents. Doesn't mean you should be disrespectful to your grandparents. But there's no mitzvah of kibud saba v'safta. Uh, and then the Rama adds, "Ve'ainon nirali." Rama disagrees. Elo dechaya v'chvod aviv yoter v'chvod avi aviv. So without mentioning Rashi, the Rama says uh, there is an obligation of kibud avaim for grandparents as well, but the obligation for Abba is greater than the obligation for Abba Shalaba. And what does it mean greater? He doesn't mean to apply apparently that there are certain particular things you do for your father you wouldn't do for your grandfather. The definition of Kibud Abba'im is given before in the Shulchan Aruch and there's uh, many, many uh, uh, details. But apparently it means when there's some sort of a contradiction between them. And so it takes precedence. Kibud Aviv takes precedence over Kibud Aviv and the 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 source is apparently Rashi. In other words, the pasuk might imply that the Marik is correct. He didn't mention his grandfather at all. Only that okay, Aviv Yitzchak. But since Rashi immediately modifies that impression and says this is because Kavod Aviv is greater than Kavod Aviv Aviv, so therefore that's how the Rama in fact uh, uh, paskins the Chaya Bechavod Aviv Yoter Mechavod Aviv Aviv. Interestingly enough, the halacha isn't isn't hundred percent clear. Halacha lemaisa, the gra seems to actually prefer the mavik uh, on the yeshomim, which is the mavik that you're not chayav at all in the kavod of your grandfather. The gra mentions the gemara in Makot Bet Amud Aleph, which in fact seems to imply, in terms of uh, it's talking about goel hadam. Uh, and it seems to imply that there is no obligation of Gulat Adam, of, of the blood uh, uh, blood debt, in regards to a grandfather. The says, The Gemara then continues, when, after he, he quotes the Ramah, who says that there is an obligation to quote grandfather, so the Gra adds, "V'nirali de lavi imopatu." The reason is, he says, the difference between your grandfather on your father's side and your grandfather on your on your on your mother's side. The reason is because of a Gemara in Salta, Daf Memtet, which is uh, appears to be explicitly a proof to the Marik. 
It is a very strange Gemara. And the Gemara tells a story there about Rabbi Acha Bar Yaakov Itfilbei Barav Yaakov Bar Barte. Rabbi Acha Bar Yaakov had a grandson, the son of his daughter. And he took care of him. He, he raised him. Apparently, his parents were dead. He was an orphan. And Rabbi Acha Bar Yaakov, the grandfather, uh, brought up the uh, brought up Rabbi Yaakov, his grandson. Kigadal, when he grew up, Amalei Ashkan Mayin. One day he said to him, when he was already grown up, uh, give me a glass of water. Amalo lav berich ana. And he answered him, this, it's, it's truly amazing, Gemara. He answered him, I'm not your son. This is the source of the famous, uh, apparently uh, popular saying, raise me, raise me. But I'm not your son. I'm only your I'm only your grandson. The Gemara seems to imply, seems talking about it's not just a story. It's talking about someone who was called Rav Yaakov, that he did not he was not obligated. He actually refused to fulfill the request of his grandfather to uh, give him a glass of water, which is elementary in terms of kibud avaim. So this would seem to imply that there is no kibud avaim in regards to grandparents. So the the Gemara suggests that maybe there's a difference between. Mother's fathers and father's father. And that explains the Gemara in Sotah. But Avi Aviv, the Ramah is correct that there is an obligation. Uh, what would be the reason for the distinction? After all, Kibud Avaim applies to Av Vaim, which is why it's called Kibud Avaim. And if the obligation applies to grandparents as well, then why should be the difference between your father? father or your father's or, you, or your mother's or your mother's father uh, the reason behind the grow would apparently be that there's a difference that, that the obligation of kibbutz Avaim is dependent on family and your mother's family is not your family when a person uh, when a woman marries when a person marries so the wife joins the husband's family that's a statement that's made in the relationship to inheritance Right, they, uh, uh, you don't inherit your mother's father if your mother is not alive, because mishpachat mishpacha. It also might apply to other halachot as well. So apparently, uh, this opinion, if it's correct, is stating that the obligation to um, honor kibud grandparents is only if they're family. Now you say, why then is one obligated to to honor one's mother? If mishpachat it's true. Mishpachat the family of the mother is not your family, but your mother is your family. The mother, it's a natural connection. Your mother is not just family; your mother is your mother. That that that's a connection which cannot be severed. But your mother's family has no relationship to you, and so therefore, your father's father is your grandfather, meaning your family relationship called grandparents. But your mother's father apparently is not. The uh, offhand does not think. That that's I mean he doesn't make a distinction, and therefore the normal opinion as expressed in most poskim is that, like the Rama says, there is such an obligation, but the obligation to honor one's parents is greater than the obligation to honor one step beyond. In other words, it goes down as the years go by, as the generations go by, and therefore there's a distinction as to uh, when there's some sort of a contradiction or some sort of a precedence involved. So parents take precedence over uh, over grandparents. Okay, that's one halacha discussed. Uh, it's more or less relationship to the Rashi here, but the Rashi is directly based on the on the pasuk.
And one second halacha from uh, this week's parasha is found immediately, immediately afterwards. Um, while Yaakov is in Be'er Sheva, God appears to him. Vayomer Elohim Yisrael b'marot halayla. Vayomer Yaakov Yaakov. Vayomer Hineni. God appears to Yaakov and tells him he should go to Mitzrayim, not to be afraid. Vayomer Nuchiha Ela Elohei Avicha. Al tira me'erada Mitzrayim ha'kilakai gadol ha'simach hasham. And then he makes him a promise. Anochi ereid imecha Mitzrayim. I will go down with you to Mitzrayim. Vayomer Alcha Gam Alo, and I will raise you up from there. The Yosef Yashit Yado Al Einecha, and Yosef will place his hand on your eyes. Very difficult pasuk, and there are many explanations for what is actually being promised here. And there are a number of commentators, among them the Ibn Ezra and Balayat Osvalt and others, who say this refers to death. Yosef Yashit Yado Al Einecha means when you die, Yosef will be the one to close your eyes. He will place his hands on your eyes in order to close them. Now, that there is a halacha that if someone dies, his eyes should be closed is quoted in, in the halacha. It's quoted in the Rambam, it's quoted in Shulchan Aruch, um, but it doesn't mention anything about a son. Simply that there's a minhag, a minhag that one should close the eyes of a of a dead person. Um, the some of the commentators on our parsha say that the makor, the source for the esmaminag, is this pasuk. In which case, it also implies that there's some reason for, or it's a bracha, that the son should be the one should be the one to do it. Uh, as I mentioned, Ibn Ezra learns that way, and the Balaturim, and Medrash, uh, Medrash Sechatov, they all, they all mention it. The actual statement that there is such a halacha, or such a minag, uh, is not found anywhere in Chazal. Um, it is found in the Zohar, however. The Zohar, on the, in, in, in Pashat Vayichi, it's a little bit later, when Yaakov actually dies, um, it quotes this Pasuk, Pasuk in Pashat Vayigash, the Zohar says, "V'yosef yashit yado elenecha." Rabbi Chizkiya Amar Ulifna Mipirkin the Rab Yisa Saba. We learn, we learned when Rabbi Yisa gave Shir in the Pirkin of Rabbi Yisa Saba. B'nimusei alma banash dezachi lebar libayrei lenagda afra alenai. Strange expression. B'nimusei alma. So it means like what we usually call derech eretz, but derech shel haolam. Someone who has a son, so the son should be the one to, and here the expression is to place um, afar, to place dust, to place dirt over his eyes when he's buried. So it's not exactly the same thing as closing the eyes. It's it's putting dirt over the eyes, which you could say means happens when you bury anybody, you put dirt over their entire bodies. But here apparently it's this, it's more or less the same idea that the eye should be covered. What's, what's the reason for this minhag? Um, presumably, this is more or less what the Zohar states, presumably it has to do with the fact that there's a difference between seeing in this world and seeing in the next. Was closing the eyes, why are we interested that he shouldn't see? He shouldn't see the world. So the Zohar states, because when someone dies, he now sees things he never saw before. He's able to see Zohar Hashchina. Uh, in fact, the Zohar states, that the Pasuk, in Pashat Kitisa, Lo Yirani Hadam Vachai, 
no man can see me and live. This is our state. So you can't live, but if you're dead, you can. You see God. So whatever that means exactly, you're seeing a different kind of sight than anything in this world. And if the Zohar states you should close his eyes, in other words, in order to see that, you have to stop seeing this. In order to see the spiritual splendor, the Ziba Shechina of Olam Abba, so at least we symbolize it, or perhaps actually do it, we turn his eyes away by closing his eyes. So in the Zohar it's called to put Afar Aleinoi, to cover his eyes with, with sand, with dirt, and in the Poskim it's brought Ye'atzim Einav, he should close, he should close the eyes. Why should it be done by a son up anybody else? Or apparently simply like anything else. It's, in other words, God promised uh, Yaakov Avinu that, you know, your son Yosef, who you love, he will take care of you. doesn't mean there's any special halachic significance. It's like saying, you know, when you'll be old, you'll be zocha that your sons who you love will will be there. And, but, uh, and from the fact that the Zohar says that if you're zocha, it should be the Misha Zohar, the Ben, he was a son, he should be the one to do it. Apparently, uh, there's some sort of a special Indian that it should be done by a son specifically. Both can say something applies to a mother. Uh, maybe, perhaps, I'm just suggesting, I don't really know, but maybe perhaps because the son continues the father's place in this world, he, he so to speak, is the eyes of this world in place of the father who has passed on so therefore he should be the one to turn his father's eyes or he sort of says to his father okay I will take your place and therefore you go there I, I stay here and since the eyes somehow represent the concentration the 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 placing one's uh, interests your interests have changed now so I represent your interest here and I send you on to that world and you close and you close his eyes and as I mentioned, there's no explicit place at all in the Gemara where it says that one, one should close the eyes. It seems like a natural thing to do. But uh, there's no such statement. And uh, the Pasuk says he'll place his hands on your eyes. The Ramban objects, in terms of commentary on the Torah, he objects very much to this place. And why should God have promised Yaakov Avinu what's going to take place when he, when he gets buried? There's so many more important things. And he says, Yashit it's not about death, it's about life, so we'll take care of you. And the Tzib as well. And they object to this Pewish in terms of the Pasuk. Uh, they're familiar with the Minhag, the Minhag is quoted in the Pasukim, they think it has nothing to do with what's mentioned in this, in this Pasuk. So if this is the Pasuk, then this is a Makar for Halacha, and or for a Minhag. And perhaps, as well, something, an additional point, the Minhag that it should specifically be the son, one of the sons, who should do this this action of closing his father's eyes. That's it for this week's Pasha. Be back next week. Ba'ad az Shabbat Shalom Umivorach.